happened just like, oh man. Would you grab your Bible this morning? I want to open up to Philippians chapter two. Uh, we are continuing uh, this series, this conversation called Take Heart. And I want you to, to just prepare your heart today uh, to hear from God. Jesus said um, in the book of John, he says, um, in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. It's an encouragement to his disciples when he's about to depart. He knows that they're going to endure hardship and difficulties and, and hard stuff in their lives. Some of them because of Jesus, some of them because of their faith in him. Other things just because of the broken world we live in, we endure hardship, sickness, pain, um, betrayal. We endure all kinds of things in our lives. Jesus is saying to his disciples, I want you to take heart. Know that the end is coming and I have overcome all these things and, and you have so much reason to hope. But the book of Philippians, this is a different guy. This is an author named Paul. He, he was a church planner in the first century who wrote to um, several churches that he helped st start. He planted this church in Philippi. And uh, he's writing back to them in response to a gift that they gave to him, a support, financial support, because Paul is in prison as he's writing this. And the, the, the thing that marks this letter is joy, rejoicing, he says over and over and over and over again throughout this letter to this church. And I think I'm, I'm challenged by this, and I know many of us are kind of, kind of wondering, all right, how is it possible to be filled with rejoicing and joy in the midst of difficulty and hardship in our lives? He writes in chapter 4, verse 4 through 7, Paul writes to this church, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. It's like this constant reminder through this letter. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I love that promise. God is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And listen to this, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We look at this passage as really the pinnacle of this whole letter, this whole series that we're in right now, trying to understand how is it that we can be not, not anxious about anything? How is it possible in the midst of hardship to have the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard our hearts and our minds? How is this possible to be so rejoicing and, and, and full of joy in the midst of hardship? And I know that, I talked to many of you on your way in and on your way out, emails throughout the week. I know that you have a lot going on. People losing close family, loved ones, people in the midst of really hard circumstances and court situations and sickness and pain and loss and grief. And all of this difficulty that we find ourselves in, I think is the, the perfect moment for us to press into this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, not only as a source of encouragement and strength, but also as an opportunity for us to consider who are we becoming in the midst of this difficulty and what is it that God is refining and shaping in us in this time? What is it that God is wanting to grow and correct and change and transform in us through this hardship? None of us gets into hardship. Nobody signs up for it like, hey, I cannot wait, right, for, for difficulty to hit my life. Nobody goes into it like that. But when we are in it, or maybe you've just come through it, 
There's so much that God is wanting to do in it. God, we don't want to be a people that miss out on what you want to do, what you want to say, how you want to shape us, all the things that you want to work out in our lives through this difficulty. So I come at this Philippians chapter 2 passage with a lot of anticipation that God is going to speak to you, uh, that he's going to meet you right where you are. Like I said, some of you have just come through a hardship and maybe God is going to give you some encouragement for people in your life that are facing difficulty. Others of you, you're like in the middle of it right now and can't even see straight because it is so difficult right now. And I'm praying that God is going to encourage you and strengthen you through this passage. And so here's what I'd like to do. We, we experimented with it last week and uh, it was kind of a social experiment to see how it would go in church. And uh, it went okay, I would say, it was all right. Um, so I wanna try again, just because I'm that tenacious, okay? Um, and I want to stand and read this together, this passage, uh, Philippians chapter two. So if you would, go ahead and stand to your feet today. And uh, I'm not just gonna read it, I want us to read it collectively. We'll have the words on the screen so that you could follow along. And uh, I want you to read out loud with me, Philippians two, one through 11, and uh, allow God to speak to you through this passage. Let's read. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking up the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Amen. Let's pray together. By your supernatural power, God, and by your word, by your spirit, we just invite you into this room, into every one of our hearts, God, to speak, to reveal, to make your presence known, your power, your grace known in this time, God. Those, God, in this room that need you to be their comfort and their encouragement, God, would this passage be that? Would you be here powerfully comforting and encouraging? Those that need training, correcting, rebuking, God, however you want to speak, we just invite you, Lord. Our hearts are open, and we just ask you to meet us in this time and speak to us, God, as your church. Shape us for your purpose, your glory. God, you are so good, and we love you, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can grab your seat this morning. I, uh, I was super blessed um, Friday night to be able to, um, I got to share a little devotional with the uh, Whitworth uh, men's uh, football team. And uh, those guys are 7-0. and They just won again yesterday. We could give it up for the Whitworth football team. And uh, <clears throat> it 
it was really cool. Just the, just the whole thing. Coach Rod is doing such a good job over there. And, and I'm um, so proud of all those young men and just getting to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them it was super fun. And um, relating to them some of the story of my wife going through cancer in just these last seven, eight months that um, my family has been in. And even in, as we're into this letter of Philippians here, it's, it's been such a... Um, kind of a journey for me personally as I've been writing these messages and having to reflect back and any moment like this where the Holy Spirit is in, in inviting me into that, that, that discomfort and that pain and that suffering and that unknown and that anxiety and all those things that were stirring in my heart and have been stirring in, in our family for the last seven, eight months. It's just been, it's been interesting. And I think specifically in this passage here, God's, God was reminding me of a moment where... Um, <clears throat> For about three, four, maybe five weeks as my wife was first sick in the hospital and uh, surgeries and all that craziness started and chemo and all this stuff. There's just so much unknown and so much. And I would I'd come back to church and, you know, trying to get back to preaching and doing all the things that I'm kind of normally doing. And so many of you were like, hey, how you doing? How's Kate doing? What's going on? How, how things, you know? And, and it's tons of love and care and concern. But uh, for me, it was like so like overwhelming. Like to, to come to grips with, she's not good. So how do I answer your question honestly? She's not good. She's not okay. She's really sick. She's dying. And I am terrified. But as your pastor, you know, often a few times I would say stuff like, she's not good but it's going to be okay. Right. You know, like, like somebody would respond with that. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. And it was like this kind of agonizing exchange. And I think that the love from, from Jesus church was overwhelming to me. It was amazing. It has been amazing. And, and at the same time, it was kind of this constant reminder of like how bad stuff is as everybody's asking, how's she doing? How are you doing? Everything. Okay. You know, blah, blah. and it's like, how do, we, how do we do this? And it was like the Holy Spirit spoke to me in one of those windows where I was just really struggling with all of that. He's like, hey, Richie, when was the last time that you asked somebody how they're doing? I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I, I have the capacity to hear the answer. I don't know if I can really care when they answer. I don't know, Lord, if I, if I have what it takes to to listen well and to love well in the midst of somebody else's difficulty. I feel like all I can see is this difficulty and this pressure and this pain. And it was like the Lord was just kind of gently inviting me into a place of um, getting beyond myself and the uncertainties that I had and, and all the pain that I was experiencing and just kind of gently going, hey, do you want to go a different way? And I think Paul is making a similar invitation in this passage that really kind of struck me as our team was studying through it together, trying to figure out how best to dive into Philippians 2, 1 through 11 together. The trap that I think is in front of all of us when we're in the midst of hardship is that all we can see is the hardship and the difficulty that we face. All we can think about, all we can talk about is the hardship that we find ourselves in. The, off, the opposite oftentimes feels like, well, just fake it and pretend like everything's fine, but nobody's really willing to do that anymore. Maybe that was in previous generations. It feels like now everything's like kind of out in the open and we're all talking about it all the time and all the hard parts we have. And, and yet I see Paul here saying to the church, no, I want to show you maybe something that's a little bit different. I want to show you a bigger picture, maybe a, a, a picture bigger than the difficulty that you find yourself in and the hardship that you're enduring right now. I want to show you the way of Christ the way of servanthood and selflessness and sacrifice. Not what any of us want to talk about in the middle of hardship, amen? 
man, I want to talk about how hard it is and how painful it is and how difficult it is. And don't tell me to start loving other people, Holy Spirit, right? Like, I just want to just be in my pain and be in my agony and just kind of just stay in this spot right here. And it's like the Holy Spirit and his gentleness and his grace is through Paul in this letter is going, hey, 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 I want to, I want to help you be fruitful. I want to help you experience Jesus in a way that you've never experienced him before. Go with me in this. I love how he starts verse one of this passage. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, what have you been experiencing? It's like there's this, there's this nudge that the spirit of God gives through the beginning of this passage. What is it that you've been experiencing from your relationship with God? What is it that you've been experiencing from the love of people in the church? What is it that you've been, been appreciating and knowing and kind of coming to grips with? Oh, wow, there's the love of God, the grace of God. There's encouragement that Christ loves me and that, that he has a plan for me. And that there's, like he's starting to kind of soften our hearts, right, with this invitation. And then, and then he jumps into verse 2, 3, 4, and 5, really with this kind of real clear teaching. And I want you to complete my joy. I want you to have the same mind, have the same love, being in full accord and have one mind. This is what I want you to do. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't be conceited, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. See what he's doing? He's inviting us out of self-centeredness into selflessness. Hey, I want you to consider others more significant than yourselves. I don't want you to just look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I want you to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. How do you have this mind? You, you need to look at who Jesus is. I love this. I want you to have the same mind as Christ Jesus. The NIV says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's verse five. I want you to be intentional about your thinking and your thoughts and, and, and what you're paying attention to and what you're focusing on and who you're focusing on. And I want you to pay attention to what, what it is that you're consumed with and your attention is, is, is centered on in the midst of this difficulty that you find yourself in. Paul is going, hey, I want you to have the same mind as Christ. Then he goes on to explain and describe the mind of Christ, who though being in the very nature of God didn't count equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but he actually gave that up and became a, a, a human and, and walked among us as a servant and served to the point of even death, death on a cross, right? Like he's just, he's just kind of getting the ball rolling and pretty soon we're like, ah, like that is amazing who Jesus is. I don't know how to get there from here. But man, God, I want you to work in my heart in a way that helps me to become the man, the woman that you've made me to be. Paul is so focused on their mental, emotional strength in this passage. And I think that this is profound to me. Like, you know, culture, the last 25 years has become infatuated with our mental and emotional health, right? Previous to that, I don't think anybody talked about that hardly at all. In fact, it was a shame to go to counseling. Like, if you go to a therapist, something must really be wrong with you. Now it's like, you don't have a therapist? What's wrong with you, right? It's so weird how it's, it's changed so much. Uh, and, and, and yet I, I love, like, this 2,000-year-old letter to a, to a bunch of churches in what is, like, modern Turkey now. Uh, there's this call to pay attention to your thinking. Pay attention to your mindset. Pay attention to what you're focused on what you're thinking about, 
what you're consumed with. That if you're not careful, you're gonna find yourself not having a mind that is experiencing peace and joy and strength in the midst of your difficulty. You're gonna find yourself wallowing in it and, and, and totally submerged in it and sunk by this difficulty that you find yourself in. The peace of God that transcends all understanding has nothing to do with your life. And Paul's like, no, come on, I wanna show you a different way. And it's so difficult to talk about, but that he would invite the church to a place of selflessness in the midst of difficulty is so crazy to me. But here's what I love is that Paul is writing from prison. It's not like he's some expert in some classroom somewhere that is theorizing about how to navigate difficulty. He's living it. He's in prison because of the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, church, I wanna show you a way that I've been experiencing. He's not writing from, from some disconnected spot. He is right in the middle of it. He has so much authority on this issue. And he's over and over and over again saying, I want you to rejoice. I want you to experience joy in the midst of this difficulty. And so it's really this call to become selfless in the middle of our difficulty, to do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, to consider others more significant than yourselves, to don't not only look to your own interests, but also the interests of others. The trap, again, is this, that the more difficult things are, the more self-consumed, self-preserving we become. God, help us to move towards selflessness. How do we do that? This passage, I think, really is helpful for us in this, okay? Uh, and just looking at the way that Paul wrote this, these 11 verses, I think is really important, the structure of it. He's intentional about what he says first, second, and third, and, and how he leads the church through this conversation. A lot of grace in this conversation. But you notice how he starts. I, I, I read verse one for you. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection, sympathy, like, like he's helping them to lay the foundation in their own hearts and minds of what they need to be thinking about and focused on. So if you uh, are taking notes today and you're gonna jot stuff down, one of the things that I think is important, if you're gonna like, how do I get more selfless in the midst of my difficulty? One is this, you got to get great at gratitude. He's pointing them to what they have. The trap of, of hard circumstances is, is it gets us focused on what we don't have. Gratitude comes in our hearts as we're able to look at what we have been given, what we have been blessed. How do we get great at gratitude? We, we look at the things that have already been given to us that have put our faith in Jesus Christ. Like the gospel is so powerful, right? That, that you and I are trapped in our sinful nature and living for ourselves, but by the grace of God and his love, he sends his son to set us free from this sinful nature that is controlling our lives. Jesus pays the penalty for our sin by dying on the cross on our behalf, goes into the grave, is there dead for three days, rises up out of the grave, conquering sin and death, demonstrating his power over this sinful nature and inviting anyone who would put their faith in him to be free. Like you and I are free from our sinful nature if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. Like we have so much to be grateful for. We, we, we have been given a new identity. No longer are we slaves, strangers, aliens, enemies of God. Now we are friends of God, children of God. When God looks at us, he doesn't look at us with scorn and shame and condemnation, but he looks at us with love and says, that is my child, that is my 
my son, that is my daughter, and I have called them by name, and I am saving them, and I am anointing them, and I, am, and I have got purpose for them. Like, think of this, you have purpose. You don't got to live according to this world's definition of purpose. You don't have to try to strive for significance for yourself. When you walk in obedience to the will of God for your life, you can become a person of eternal significance. What a gift, right? That you don't have to try to drum up significance for yourself. It is found in God. For you and I to get great at gratitude is a discipline of our hearts to go, I have salvation, thank you, God. I have eternity secure. I don't have to worry about my future. I know, God, that I'm gonna stand right before you one day, justified not by my merit and my abilities and my righteousness, but by the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his righteousness and his perfection. Will you see me as your child? Thank you, God. See, this is discipline, to discipline your mindset and your thinking on the things that you have to be grateful for. My wife and I, we were joking with each other. Um, We're looking at the weather app because we're getting old. And uh, I'm like, why are we looking at the weather app so much? I think it's because we're old. And uh, and, like coming up, the weather, it's like, uh, it's heading towards winter, right? And like, I won't, I won't abhor you with the details, but it's bad coming up, right? But, but right now, it's like 70 degrees in the month of October, like late October, right? We were sitting at a soccer game last night just being like, man, it is nice out. What are we doing being so anxious about the things that aren't even here when we're sitting in the middle of such a blessing of a fall in Spokane, right? Like, oh, we have so much to be grateful for, but it's so easy to just get in that trap and what I don't have and how things are bad and how things are broken and what I wish it was like and how come they get it like that and I have to have it like this and in comparison and frustration and right, all of that starts to creep in. But if you get greater, gratitude. The Spirit of God now has room to start to fill your heart with a peace and a strength and and an inner kind of fortitude of like, no, like God, you have been so good, so faithful, so loving, so kind in my life. God, I, I don't have to look far to see how good you have been in my life. That's the call. If you're going to become more and more selfless, realize you, you've got to get great at gratitude because you recognize everything you have is a gift from God. This is how you begin to get your focus off yourself and you get it on. This is what worship is so powerful, right? Because we are declaring the wonders and the goodness and the grace of our God over our lives. Like how powerful is that to get the focus off of ourselves and onto the goodness of our God? This is what worship gratitude is, right? Is is lifting up his name, his power, his ability. Becoming more and more selfless starts with get great at gratitude. Number two is this, consider Christ. If you're gonna become more and more selfless in in the midst of your difficulty, you gotta consider Christ. Paul does this through this passage. He's like, I I want you to have the same mindset as Jesus. I want you to to see who he is and what he's done and how he's endured. I want you to reflect on the model that he is for your life. See, Jesus isn't just a teacher. He's not just like a distant Bible figure. He is the one that we look to for all of life all of our attitudes, all of our mindsets, all of, all of every bit of our lives, Jesus is our model. The Bible calls him the author and the perfecter of this faith. And so when we consider Christ, we can begin to look at his attitude. Another translation says, I want you to have the same attitude as Christ. When you're in the midst of difficulty, I want you to have the same, same mindset, the same attitude as Christ had in the midst of his suffering. Think of what Jesus endured. The worst punishment that any 
anyone on this planet could ever dream up was this crucifixion idea. The way they'd suffocate people by hanging them on this tree and, 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 and the, just the agony of the, the beatings that he went through and the way that he was betrayed by his closest friends. It wasn't just physical pain, it was emotional, relational betrayal. Like every level of, of hurt and agony that one could be exposed to, Jesus was. And when you read the prophecies of Jesus um, being led to this place of crucifixion, it's, it's remarkable to see how much of it has to do with how he handled himself in the midst of the difficulty. He was silent. He, he wasn't, he wasn't um, casting, you know, mean stuff back on people. He wasn't, he wasn't attacking or re-antagonizing. As they're spitting in his face and beating him over the head and putting that crown of thorns deeper into his, his head. Like they're not, he's not retaliating, responding, reacting. You see Jesus quiet. You see him loving. You see the last words he speaks on this planet. Or Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus never steps out of it and is like, you know, I'm done serving for today. <laughs> he never like has this attitude that says, you know what, I'm entitled to a day off. This thing has been hard. These people putting nails in my hands, right? Like you never see him taking a step back just going, man, I can't take this anymore. Consider Christ. He is our model. He is our picture. He is the one that we look to for attitude, for heart posture, for mindset. Paul says, I want you to consider others better than yourselves. I want you to not only look to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. I don't want you to be selfish or selfish in your ambition or, or conceited in humility. I want you to do it like Jesus did it. I want you to consider him as your model, as the one that you look to. When you think of conceit, I was looking up that word specifically because I was trying to understand what Paul's getting at here. Pride is this Pride is this root of so much of all of our sin. And what it is, is it's an over-focus on self. A lot of times when you think you're in hardship, it's, I'm not being prideful, it's just hard right now. But, but the essence of conceit is to be self-absorbed, self-consumed. And to be motivated by conceit is to self-preserve and make sure everything gets taken care of the way you need it to get taken care of so you're not in this pain and difficulty anymore. And I'm not saying that, you're dumb with your difficulty and you just ignore it or don't take steps to get out of it. I'm not saying that at all, but I think it's just like this attitude. It's like, man, when you and I consider Christ, there's just this humility that, that is demanded by who he is. Though being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but willingly actually gave it up and became a servant, became a human and subjected himself to death, even death on a cross. I want you to consider Christ. As you're in your hardship, to see his model and to see his attitude and see his, his way of looking and loving and serving and perpetually just, just being who, who he is, the God of love, the God of mercy, the God of grace, the God that was motivated to help you experience all that God has in mind for you. And so if Jesus knew that it was gonna take the cross for you to experience the love of God, then the cross is what he was signing up for. Motivated by love. Consider Christ. See, when, when you model yourself after somebody in the world or you compare yourself to what everybody else has got, 
it's easy to be conceited. It's easy to be kind of selfish in our ambition. It's easy to be consumed with what we need and what we need to get. And how, but when you consider Christ, it just purifies everything, doesn't it? It just, it just kind of creates a whole new measuring system. And I think that this is so powerful. If we were to become selfless, there's not some like, like oh, you're a bad sufferer because you're self-consumed. It's just Paul saying, hey, I, I want to invite you to a better way. And that's the last thing here is, is to become more and more selfless. Then in the midst of your difficulty, you got to embrace the opportunity. That's number three. It's Paul saying, hey, I want you to experience joy like you've never known. I want you to experience the presence of Christ like you've never known. To actually experience suffering and you, you begin to identify with Christ in a way that you never have before. This is one of the greatest gifts that nobody ever signs up for or ever wants. But it's an amazing opportunity for you and I to know intimacy with Christ in a way that we can't without difficulty and suffering in our lives. I wish there was another way, Jesus, for us to experience the life that you've made us for and that you've created us for. If, if things could just be peaches and rainbows all the time, that would be amazing, right? But he's like, no, 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 you're going to miss out on so much that I want to do in you. So much encouragement, so much strength. I want to bring you so much hope I want to fill you with. Embrace this opportunity. One of the things about suffering that it reminds us of is that we don't have what it takes. And this is the essence of a relationship with God. You don't get to a right relationship with God until you actually admit, I don't have what it takes, that I need a savior. I need somebody to step in and make me right with God because if perfection is the standard, I fall so short of that standard, God. I need a savior. And at that moment of admission is when you actually begin to get it. Paul says later in, an, in another passage, he says, you know what? Uh, I found that actually, actually Christ's strength is made perfect in weakness. And so I'm gonna just boast in, in my weakness all the more because it, when I am weak, then he is strong. And it's so tempting to, in our difficulty, try to be strong, try to white knuckle, try to make our way through this thing. But this is an opportunity to be reminded once again that you don't have what it takes and that you need the God of the universe to step in on your behalf, strengthen you, give you peace, give you hope, give you a grace that you don't have for today. When I, when I read that passage, it says his mercies are new every morning. This is an opportunity for you to actually need that mercy. That I can't make it through today, God, without your grace. I don't have the power. I don't have the ability to forgive. I can't, I, can't, I don't have strength for this day. He's like, perfect. This is the opportunity that, that I've been longing for you to have. And for you and I to embrace this opportunity is so central to us becoming more and more selfless in the midst of this difficulty. Man, when you and I can begin to move our eyes off of ourselves and onto the goodness and the grace of God through gratitude, seeing the model of Jesus and the perfection and the way that he operated and loved and served, man, it just begins to bring a calmness to our step. The striving starts to kind of diminish. We don't find ourselves just like overly like anxious about this trial that we find ourselves in, but we're starting to experience that peace of God surpasses all understanding. And it begins to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. When you embrace this opportunity, you have a chance to experience Christ in a whole new way. 
One of my wife's um, favorite devotionals through this um, cancer journey is written by a woman named Colleen Chow, and she, she herself has had a lifelong battle with cancer. And, um, she's writing about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are in the book of Daniel. And if you have no idea what I just said, there's these three guys, all right? And they were being asked to bow down before the king. And they're like, we're, we're not gonna do it because we serve the one true God. He's the only one that we bow down before. He's like, look, if you don't bow down, then I'm gonna throw you in a furnace and have you burned to death. And um, they don't. And so the day of punishment comes. They heat up the fire way hotter than they even need to. The, the soldiers that are dragging them to the fire to burn them are being burned by the fire and killed because it's just so hot. They throw these three young men into the fire and the king looks in. It's like, didn't we put three in there? Yeah, yeah, Lord. Well then, who is that fourth one in the fire? We're walking around in the fire. They come out completely unscathed. It's this picture of Jesus in the midst of the fire with them. This author, she reflects on this story. She says, one of the things I love about Christ is that he doesn't ask us to pretend we're not in the furnace. Instead, he joins us there. He knows it's blazing hot and oppressive and terrifying. And he wants to be with us in it. Isaiah 43, 2 says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And the rivers will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched. The flame will not burn you. It may be difficult to look past the flood and the flame today to get a clear view of Jesus. He understands. He's tender to our weakness and our weariness. He meets us where we are, won't leave us alone in our pain. Look, here is Jesus walking with us in our fire and his presence will change everything. the opportunity that you and I have to experience Jesus in a way that is life-changing, is in the midst of our difficulty and our sorrow and our suffering. It's not in a place of absence of difficulty. It's right in the middle of it. My prayer for us as a church is that though we find ourselves in hardship and pain, though we know friends and family that are enduring difficulty, that we meet Jesus in a way that is life-changing. That we find ourselves in the presence of God in a way that we've never been before. That we don't just white knuckle our way through these hardships and get out the other side and try to get on with living the American dream, but that we content ourselves in the midst of this hardship to know 
Christ and experience him in the fellowship of his suffering in a way that we have never known him before and that his presence would be powerful, sweet, loving and kind in a way that we've never known. That we would find a peace that surpasses all understanding, that we would find uh, a lack of anxiety and striving and straining and just a, a restfulness in our souls that says, God, you are good. I don't know why this is the way it is, and I don't like any of this, but I'm trusting you, and I know that you are good. You are faithful. You've always been faithful. My heart is at, at rest because I know whatever the outcome, God, you're good, and you're in charge, and you have something special in mind, and so I can just trust you. Prayer is that Jesus would meet you in that place. He would show himself in a real powerful way in a life change. I know some of you in the room today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've been just trying to get through this stuff on your own. And God has drawn you here today to just give you a, a glimpse of what could be, that you could be in right relationship with God. You could have peace that surpasses all understanding. You could have hope, not for just this life and this hardship, but for the life to come, that you could stand right before God and have eternity secure because of Jesus' sacrifice for you. What a gift that God would get you to here today. Even if it took the hardship that you're in to get you through these doors, I am so thankful because God can reveal himself to you in a powerful way. I want to pray for you. Would you stand to your feet with me today, real life? God, you see every heart here. so faithful, God, to meet us right where we are. Some, God, it's, it's the hurt and the betrayal and the brokenness in those relationships, God, just struggling to forgive and let of all that pain, God. For some, it's a sickness. It's a loss of a loved one. It's a grief that we've never known before. Others, God, it's somebody that we love a ton that is hurting so, so, so bad, God. We're just begging you to be their comfort and their peace and their healer. God, we don't know what to say or how to help or how to encourage, God. Jesus, we do stand here collectively saying your presence changes everything. Your presence changes everything, God. If you would be with us in this fire, God, if you would be with us in the midst of this flood and this pain and this uncertainty, God, we, we know that, that you can lead us through it, God. So God, our hands just reach out to you today, Lord, saying we need you, Jesus. We need your peace, we need your comfort, we need your healing, we need your strength, we need your, your rescue, God. I thank you for getting our eyes off of ourselves onto you, Jesus, and onto people around us, God, and how you might use all these difficulties, God, for other people to know you, to know your grace and to know your love, God. Just thank you for the way that you're growing us as your church, you're strengthening our hearts and our minds, 
You're filling us with peace, God. You're making us a people, God, that are resilient and, and strong, God. Thank you. We don't give up. We don't shrink back. We don't go away just because things are hard, God. You're, you're making us those kinds of people, Lord. Thank you. We just trust, God, that you're going to be with us. Or for anyone in the room today that doesn't have a relationship with you, you just give them the courage to repent right now, God, and turn to you. Anyone that's straight off, God, and you're drawn back to yourself, God, just give them the courage to turn to you and quit trying to do it on their own, God. Oh, we need you, Jesus.